Who do you prefer, Max, Cedric? Tell me whatever you want, you know. Max is nice. goes for you. Cornbread, and it doesn't make any difference to me. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. I know you've been asked this question a million times, but how did you get that nickname? Uh, came from a movie called Cornbread Earl and Me. Uh, Jamal Wilkes uh, used to play basketball for the Lakers. He was playing, he was in a movie with Larry Fishburne way back in the 70s. And uh, he was a basketball player. And uh, I had the same kind of build Jamal had and light color eyes and People saw the movie, my buddies saw it, and they're like, you look like cornbread. And I was like, what? what are you talking about? And the dude in the movie, I was like, what are you talking about? And I, so I went to see the movie and saw Larry Fishburne was in the movie. It was about a basketball player who had befriended two little kids. And um, and uh, he ended up getting, and of all things, the, the irony of all this is that Jamal Wilkes, who played the, his role, his name was Cornbread. He got killed by the police. Damn. And how how appropriate is that? He was he was out running. There was a there was a murder. There was a, a robbery at a um, a store, and he was running home with a basketball. And um, the police say, "Stop running, you!" And he was like, he didn't even know they were talking to him. He got mm-hmm. shot. The ball rolls away, and then Larry Fishburne, who is that was Cornbread Earl, and Larry Fishburne was me. He ended up telling the rest of the story, and and they got on the witness stand, and he said Cornbread wasn't doing anything. So all that to say, my my buddies who I went to school with at uh, UNC Charlotte used to call me the franchise. Well, we go to the NIT in 1976, and um, they're joking around in front of some of the reporters because they're asking me questions. And um, then one of my my teammates said, yeah, you guys are talking to cornbread. And man, the reporter's ears just shot up in the air and a good Southern boy, cornbread. And that's how it started. 1976 at uh, really at uh, the NIT uh, where we, uh, we we got to the finals that year crazy how one little moment can can uh, take it for years one little long. moment you look one moment right now can take you away so it doesn't make any difference right. one moment that we had uh, you know me in high school or getting cut from my uh high school team when i was a when i was a junior and not making that's a good nickname that's that was uh that was like you said one moment uh paul jones who was coaching at the time yeah. i wanted to ask you about paul jones yeah yeah, he was my coach, and um, he. Uh, we, I went out for the team as a junior. Well, I got hurt uh, my sophomore year, so he didn't know me. I twisted my ankle, so I couldn't come back out for the junior varsity team. And he and, cut and you. So, to, he cut you eleventh grade. Yeah, yeah. I came back when I was in the eleventh grade, and and went out for the team and got cut. And my buddy said, you shouldn't have went out for the team. I told you you were going to get cut. And uh, they had a good team. Paul Jones had a really good team. And 
some great, some really good players on the team. It was and, was uh, was Reggie Jones on that team. Uh, Reggie Jones was on that team. Hot shot. Alias, My dad told me to ask you that. Alias hot shot. Yeah, I hit. I get all those stories about hot shot. Guy came up to me this year uh, in Chicago. He said uh, I dated Esther Jones, who was Reggie Jones's older sister, and she tells me that you weren't even the best player on your high school team. <laughs> That's always. I mean, you know. Yeah, I said that's that's pretty true. Reggie Hotshot was the man. I said I was averaging, you know, I was averaging probably about fourteen, maybe sixteen rebounds, six block shots, and and um, and six and about twelve points. So I was I was the engine though. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't the man, but uh, Reggie Jones was driving the car. And you played in the. When did Granger turn into Kenston High? Did, did Granger and Atkins merge into Kenston High? Yeah, this is 19, probably 1970, that oh. uh, the two team that uh, the two schools integrated together. And um, <laughs> oh yeah, I was around during that time, and we it's said that gym. the team. And so that gym that's uh, there now. That's what asking me. Paul Jones asked me. Matter of fact, he said, "Are you going to come back out for the team?" Because he saw me in his PE class. So I was playing basketball and I was growing and I said, no, I'm not coming back out for the team. He's like, why? I said, you just cut me last year. Why would I come back out for the team? He said, hey, if I'm you, I wouldn't worry about that right now. And so I came back out for the team, made the team, and the the rest was uh, Kingston history. For real. I mean, you started this whole thing in my, right? You did. I mean, as far as the one in 52 or whatever the stat, you know. The whole the whole players coming from Kenson to the NBA uh, thing. You you were the first one, like, yeah, yeah. To have a career and to, to not only have a, mate, a a long career, but also you won Finals MVP. You had the biggest trophy case. You yeah, good. that that's true. I mean, that is. I don't think anybody's going to question that at all. How, that, how does it feel uh, to be the guy that kind of that jump started this whole thing? Well, I talked to um, Paul Jones's son, uh, mm-hmm. and. Um, he was. He came up to Boston. Uh, was matter of fact earlier, maybe early before the season. Well, during last season, uh, like during maybe in I think it was like October. Uh, him and his wife were up, and they came by my apartment, and we sat down and we talked. And he was just. He said, "You know, let me say this to you. People ask me all the time, who's the best player from Kinston? And he said the most talented player was Jerry Stackhouse." He said, but the best player was you. He said, look at your body of work. So if my body of work speaks for me, then so be it. I interviewed him uh, for the documentary. He was great. Mm-hmm. And it was a key thing. You got to get, you can't get Paul Jones, so you got to get the kid at least. I mean, he, he gave us, uh, you know, a little history lesson, mm-hmm. if you will. So it's cool that you actually uh, – because Paul Jones coached from, what, 57 to 95 or something like that? It was something like that. Paul was around a long time. What and that about- was the big that was a big controversy because when we got there, uh, we had a coach at the, at the school, which was the black school at the time, Akin. And his name was um, Mr. Fleming, Harold Fleming. And um, everybody was like, he has to be the coach because Akin has such a 
a dynamic team. And uh, Paul Jones had won, I think he had won a state championship or something like that. So at the end of the day, they made um, uh, Coach Fleming made him the assistant under Paul Jones. Okay, I didn't know that. The thing about acting, man, I can't find. I, I, I didn't get too deep into the history of it, but if this was a longer documentary, I wanted to explore acting history and merge that with Granger, and then kind of lead those two threads into the Kenson High uh, integration. Well, it would be it would be a great one to do because you go to the archives and the archives person would be my mother. Uh, My mother happened to play at Akin during her time when she was coming up. And uh, she was, uh, she was the person at the end of the day when Paul Jones cut me, she's like, called him on the phone and said, coach, why'd you cut him? He's a good player. What do you say? He's like, well, Miss Maxwell, we, yeah, we, you know, he's okay. But you know, we have a bunch of really good players. And we can keep everybody. So, yeah. There's no limit to the – it's crazy. They're talking about cutting 60 to 70 kids every year still in 2020. Like, it's crazy. It's it's, 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 uh, – you know, just reading your snippets on it, it's – for whatever reason, it's an amazing place to play basketball. And the mecca of all of it, for especially in that, that community, was Holloway Center. It was a common thread that everybody went to that place and we all played and uh at Holloway it was uh the gym wasn't as big so we essentially played half court basketball and fundamentally I think that made you that much better because when you play full court in a pickup game you might get one or two good runs where everybody is occupied everybody is you know running up and down the floor. Well, when you play half court and it was three on three, your fundamentals got to be better because everybody had to handle the ball. Everybody had to be able to shoot. Everybody had to defend. And, you know, you weren't going to be, you weren't going to be snowbirding trying to get a layup at one end of the floor. So you were consistently playing defense and you were consistently playing offense. And I think that was one of the things that was really good about playing at Holloway Center. You played, you, there was a little boys in that you had to graduate and then eventually go to the big boys in and play down there. And, you know, it was like it, playing down there was like going to Madison Square Garden. Everybody <laughs> was down there watching. You, you, you get down there, you make one mistake and they're going, you were going, you weren't going to play. Yep, you were getting cut. And you weren't going to play anymore. And if you lost, even if you were good and you lost, you were three, four, five games deep before you got a chance to play again. That's beautiful. Though. That that right there explains a lot. Yeah. That is that. That's why people say it was David Linhart was the uh, he was the director of Holloway Center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, gosh, he was he was he was brutal. He was and then it was. Uh, Mr. Cofield, Jeffrey Cofield, he was the other man after him. And um, I remember um, really a Holloway, the thing about it was David Linhart was, uh, he was a taskmaster. And he had no, pay- You're funny, you think about patience, he had no patience for kids at all. He <laughs> came in and because I probably could have been a pretty good football player. Uh, I went out for the football team and I was a quarterback. 
because I was tall. And all he'd say was, you know, hike, hike, and all I'd do is throw the ball. Hike, throw. He's, he kept saying, drop back, drop back, drop back. I wasn't dropping back. I say hike and I just throw it. And he's like, finally said, drop back, you knucklehead. <laughs> and I went home and I swore that day I never played football again. It was uh, funny. When you're drafting your fantasy team, do you ever wish you could do the same thing with your business team? If you're building a roster to win the league, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you could do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fads with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed U.S. data shows that over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. One of the things that separates Indeed from the rest is their Instamatch feature. Candidates you invite to apply through Instamatch are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. With Instamatch, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job, and then boom, Instamatch shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post. With Instamatch, you can start hiring fast. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that you're doing everything for your company. You can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash Maxwell to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash Maxwell. Indeed.com slash Maxwell. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application. Pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let me ask you, um, you I, heard, uh, I don't know where I read this or heard this, but I, I, I hear you still play spades at uh, Holloway sometimes. Oh, God. That is, uh, that's a, that might be the spade capital of the world. That might be the card capital, the, the junk talking from playing spades. But everything was so competitive at Holloway. You know, we, they and it didn't have the best equipment, but there was ping pong. You had great ping pong players there. You had people who you, Holloway Sunday had a swimming pool. Uh, and I always say people of color didn't know how to swim. Well, people of color used to swim at the pool all the time. So it was, everything was so competitive. There was baseball, football, but basketball at the end of the day kind of trumped all of it, if, if to say about spades. But yeah, spade tournaments and Bid whiz. It was. It was even now. Even today, when I go back to Kinston now, I don't play basketball, but I go to Holloway just to play spades and talk noise. That's that's great. I mean, it's like Holloway is the epicenter, I guess, of that competitive fire in Kinston. But even Kinston in general, I mean, I'm you know I'm not from that side of town. I didn't play at Holloway, but I got some competition in me, you know, in a different way. I want to be the best that I can be with filmmaking and with, you know, just be whatever I'm doing. I just want to be the best I can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what drives me. And I got to give that credit to Kinston and the people that I grew up around, I feel like. And I feel yeah. like the town in general is something, something's, I ain't going to say something in the water no more, but. Uh, you can. There's something there that it really truly is. There's something special about it. Like the people. Well, the I think people, the biggest thing about Kinston to me is that people are constantly looking for ways out of Kinston. Uh, and I think because of that, you have an opportunity, if it's basketball, if it's filmmaking, football, whatever it might be, you don't see Kinston at the, as the end of the road. I mean, one time Kinston was like this 
well, Eastern North Carolina was, it was, it was Kinston was the Mecca. Everything else was like East Carolina, nah, um, you know, Goldsboro, no. But Kinston, you know, because of the airport, because of the mall, because of all those things that Kinston had at the time, which are now gone. You know, Kinston, even now, it, when, when Donald Trump has to fly into North Carolina or Eastern North Carolina, where does he have to land? The longest runway past Raleigh is in Kinston. So he has to land there in Kinston with Air Force One. So Kinston has all these these things which are there out of the past, which have gone. If you remember Kinston, you remember the mall. The mall was like, man, you go to the, what are we going to do today? If you want to have fun, we're going to go to the mall. Now the mall is gone. There is no mall. It's hard for a mall to die. And, and, you know, in that way, you can see Kinston, uh, that part of it is that. You remember that sound shop? Uh, what? Sound shop, take 10. Oh, yeah, everything, everything in Kinston, you know, oh. the, having that, you know, Chick-fil-A was in there. They, oh. they, they had the uh, arcade in there, all the de- stores. And, uh, you know, to see those things gone now, and it's really strange because we live, my mother and father, and my sister and brother, we lived in uh, the east part of Kinston. And um, and just to see how it has just kind of deteriorated to the point that my father, uh, who was in the military, he uh, and my mom, she wanted to move to the west side of Kinston, you know, to some of the really good homes over there. And my father always said, he was, he's 94 years old now. And uh, he always told us that, my next home is going to be with St. Peter. And, but, you know, about 10 years ago, he moved. He, my mom had him move, and they, they live on uh, the west side of uh, uh, Kinston. And, and, this, and if you look at the neighborhoods there compared to the rest of Kinston, like, you know, totally another city. I don't mean to sound dumb, but what would be the west side of Kinston? What neighborhoods? Um, and, um, let me see. If you, those schools. The, you know the, the homes that are up there, you know where uh, Fairfield is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go beyond oh, yeah. Fairfield. All yeah. those homes in there up near the uh, golf course. Country club. Oh, yeah. Country club and all that. Those are some so, some nice homes. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I grew up near Bethel Church over there and that, that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would that, I don't know what that would be. It doesn't matter. But then, look, they took me out to the country in my ninth grade year. So I had to go live in Hugo near Grifton. Oh my God. Like, oh my God, it's terrible. Ooh. Talk about boredom. But again, oh. it goes back to what you said, like talking about people wanting to get out, that being a motivator. That is so true. That's it right there. Yeah. And when I went to Grifton or Hugo, I had to go. I had to get out. I well, had that's, to get that, out. that's where, um, um, what's his name? Uh, begin his name now. Uh, his son's in the NBA. Oh, uh, Mitchell Wiggins? Huh? Andrew, Andrew Wiggins? Mitchell. Mitch, yeah, Andrew. Mitchell, yeah, I Mitchell to, Wiggins. Yeah. Mitchell Wiggins was from from the area, <clears throat> and I just just found the other day. Well, the last couple of years, I found out about Starlight, the Starlight Barbecue. Okay, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and like that is so, that's some great stuff. So there's oh, a lot God. of stuff about Kinston, and I thought one day I said maybe I could move back there because you get so much for your money, but. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, but now with the internet, it probably wouldn't be a bad place to stay for the for the price that you get for your house. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
and, and all those things that went along with it. And if you're not, you get older, you know, you're not going as many places. I think Kinston wouldn't be a bad place to stay. Can we talk about Kinston, the town? Just like uh, you did a little bit as far as um, what it used to be versus what it is now. Mm-hmm. But like what it is now, like going back to the mall, you know, there's a shot in my doc in the documentary where like it shows the movie theater and the ba- behind the mall. I saw all my movies there growing up. And yeah. now I go back there and it is a haunted house. You know what I mean? It's oh, like, gosh, man. It's, it's I mean, like people, some people act, what I wanted to say was some people were acting like Kenson didn't seem to be in as much trouble as I was seeing. Yeah. A few yeah, people. I, I, I agree with you. I, mean, I was confused just, by that. Well, look at this. You can just go down Queen Street. Queen Street, you just go. Queen Street, when I was coming up as a little boy, was like the place to be. And me and my brother laughed about it because they, they used to have a commercial that uh, Kissing Chamber of Commerce would put on them called the Magic Mile. And mm-hmm. from the top of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Queen Street all the way to the end was just, you know, stores and, and, and buildings and shops and you could eat and all that. And now, essentially, you go there mm-hmm. and um, you find out that it's... Uh, that all that stuff has disappeared. And I used to go to a movie theater, which was right. They had two movie theaters, matter of fact, on Queen Street. One was a black theater called the State Theater. And then the other one was the Paramount. And then they had one that called the Park. Okay. Yeah. And the Park was going up near, if you went north, up near North. Emma Webb. Huh? Kind of near Emma Webb, right? Yeah, right near Emma yeah. Webb. That's where the yeah, park. Yeah. That's, I'm from Kinson. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, you are from. You are from Kinson because you asked yeah, that about stuff. You going? You where are you from? Guy said. I don't know if it's going to be oh, entertaining to anybody my, else. But yeah, somebody asked me that time. This guy actually, this woman said she's from Kinson. I was like, where are you? She said, Oh well, actually, I uh, Hookerton. I said, Well, you ain't from Kinson. Hey, <laughs> you ain't from Kinson. You from Hookerton or Snow Hill or you know. Oh uh, yeah, you are oh, yeah. from uh, Savannah. Uh, I went to Savannah High School. Now you're not from Kinston. That's funny. Um, well, credit to Stephen Hill. He's he's brought he's he's brought some stuff back. Uh, one of the Hill kids um, to Heritage Street, I guess. You know, mm. but Queen Street apparently is what they're trying to do next. So hopefully they can work something out. Well, I think there's still you know there's still some old money there. Um, you know, I look at the um, what's it the restaurant that they have that's become famous now. Back in the farmer, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was surprising to me. Then to have a brewery yeah. and just have a little Art Deco area, which uh, to me was a surprise. But Kinston has a, I mean, it has a lot of potential yeah. to, to be, but uh, they, there's going to have to be some manufacturing there. Uh, one thing people talk, my father used to talk all the time, oh, this place is going to boom when the trans. Transpark gets here. Oh, yeah. Transpark. Oh, it's, it's that's what I grew up on. Global yeah, Transpark. we're gonna build this stuff. We're gonna build that, and the Transpark is going And the Transpark never ever came true. No, and they built the runway. Because of that, there was that one of the best jobs you could get at one time in Kinston was Dupont. And you go to Dupont, and, and and boy, if you can get on at Dupont, that was it. Can you get on at Dupont? And you were going to, you know, you, you your life was going to be made. And yeah. now I think they said there's a skeleton crew. It used to be like 2,500 people. All robots now, probably. Yeah, now they say it's like, you know, maybe 200 people that work there now. 
So the, the manufacturing, you think about, that's the thing that makes, you know, cities, you know, viable, or if they have a great school. Uh, Kilson had a chance really to get um, East Carolina University. Kinston, but Kinston turned it down. Uh, why Kinston, did they do that? Yeah, Kinston just... We all, we all heard about that. And we all say, why? What's going on? And it's like, that seems to be the pattern in Kinston. I love Kinston, but it's frustrating. Yeah. Oh, what's, why don't you just take what you, what's good for you? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, you Man. think about it. If you had East Carolina, if you had the airport was back, uh, you know, you're already, and you look how East Carolina is, you look at Greenville, how it's exploding. It's a, it, you know, it, it's like a completely different world. Or you go to New Bern, or you go to Wilson. Yeah. All these places are still growing, and Kinston has taken this back seat. It's still the same sleepy town that we knew when we were coming up, but even more sleepier now. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free concerts, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest to bet on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. It's BetOnline, where the game starts. And look at it on the map, too. It's a perfect position for like for a lot of things, I would imagine, you know, and it's surrounded by success. It's, and I don't want to knock down Kenson. I love Kenson, but it's again, it's just frustrating because it's almost like the ball has been dropped a little bit, you know? No, I, I don't think that. I think in your documentary, the ball has been dropped. You make decisions in life. You can make, you and I just talked about making small decisions in life. Small decisions are going to have sometimes huge consequences. And you think about how Kinson has been over the years. And if you had taken, you know, East Carolina University, if you'd have, you know, built your airport up that much more, uh, you know, all the infrastructure that we talk about, Kinston is like bypass now. They got the bypass and, and that's it. You only have to come into Kinston anymore. No, so, yeah. Uh, Kinston yeah. is good. But, you know, the, the, but the most amazing thing about Kinston, though, is that literally, if you say you're from Kinston, North Carolina, somebody's going to know where it's at. No, <laughs> so, everybody's going to know where it's at. Uh, people who were, you know, from who lived in uh, Jacksonville. Uh, who work at Camp Lejeune. Oh, Kinston. Oh, we used to go there all the time. You know, Goldsboro. So it's it's all these amazing stories which kind of come along with Kinston. And to top that off was, and I'm not, I'm sure you probably got it in your research, but Kinston essentially like in 1960, I I won't get the dates right, but like about 1961, the only nuclear bomb was dropped outside of Kinston uh, in, um, I want to say that was in LaGrange. Yeah. And they said that uh, the plutonium in the bomb was so deep in the ground that it was still in the groundwater. So I always laugh and say, that's not maybe how we got all these mutant kids that we had in Kinston to, to be who they were, you know, yeah. with plutonium, because 
You know, that's the thing you always hear about Kinston. You have on the license plates of uh, the city all the time. Kinston, home of pure artesian well water. That's that was oh, one of the things that used to be on the sign of you know, like if you were from Kinston. <clears throat> you know what? Somebody brought that up, and in, in, uh, we were filming. Um, that's crazy, though. Like. What was that? Uh, that was in the Baxter Holmes article, right? The uh, the Dexter Holmes. Yeah, article. yeah, yeah. He he yeah he researched that, and then, and that's what happened. Uh, that's wild, though. It was over in Goldsboro at that time. It was the Cold War, and they were flying these uh, big B fifty two bombers. And one night, one one of the wings came off, Damn. and uh, the plane ended up crashing. But out of the belly of the plane came two bombs, two nuclear bombs. Uh, one, the parachute worked. The two, number two bomb went supersonic. And so headed towards the ground and hit the ground, but did not detonate. And supposedly that bomb was 10 times the power of Hiroshima. They said it would have been the Bay of Kinston and people maybe now, maybe today would be going back to live in the area, but it would have devastated completely the, the whole area. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, just indeed. There, there we go again, those small things, because it God said the trigger device was on, but the bomb didn't explode. That's crazy. Crazy. Uh, well, um, before I forget, uh, the industries of it all and them needing to come back and what, what used to be there. Mm-hmm. You remember Hampton Industries? Yeah. Yeah, my, my my mom worked at, at uh, the shirt factory. They didn't oh, call it Hampton. Oh, really? they, the they didn't call it Hampton. They just called it the shirt factory. <laughs> okay, yeah, right, right, the, right. You, you get on that. The shirt factory was right um, over in that part of Kinston, over near um, Carver Court and, and yeah. uh, uh, Lovett Hines and, and all those different. That's where the shirt factory was. Well, the reason I bring it up is because uh, my fellow producer, Dustin Taylor, his family uh, was uh, – his, I think his stepfather is Chusid, last name Chusid. So they, they were they had a heavy hand in that in that, um, and that's gone. My first job ever was cropping tobacco. Oh, good lord, man! And, and it's no hit, it's, it, over there in Arba. You gonna take me? Look, I cropped tobacco all over the Kinston area, uh, out in Woodington, out in New uh, <sighs> Savannah. Yeah, yeah. That that that. You know what would get you out of Kinston? Now they get you out of Kinston. I was 14. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. 70 bucks? Cropping yeah. tobacco. You know, our, our, we got our guy, Nick, who is listening to this. He wouldn't know, understand. He's a big cigarette smoker. That's why I don't smoke cigarettes today. Working in tobacco was something you get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. You were on somebody's truck, and you were going out in the cold. <laughs> where it, and it was hot, but it was wet. So it, you would yeah. get you would have to wear rain gear for probably like the first two hours because you would be soaking wet. And then you're pulling off layers. By the time you got the lunch, you were down to your t-shirt and you're talking about, you'd have these worms on you and tobacco you know, juice everywhere. Nick, your hands were literally yeah, black with tar. Yeah. Your fingertip, you, you could tell if somebody worked in tobacco during the summer because you look at the cuticles of their fingers mm. and they will always have this green ring in there, which was essentially the pesticides that they put 
in the tobacco to kill the worms and the bugs so it wouldn't eat the tobacco. But uh, probably got in, it surely got in your system. If you think about it, if it goes into your cuticles, that means it's in your system. Not in your hand, it's in your system. So, so look, after, after three days, I said, I'll see y'all later. That's what I said. Wow. You see, I, said, I made, I made kind of a career of it. I got to, I got to probably like year four or five. But you really did it. Because okay. that was one of those things you were able to do in Kinston and, and make extra money. Right. Remember, we didn't have, remember where we didn't have is, which is there now, we didn't have a McDonald's. McDonald's was, didn't exist. What we had was Hardee's. Hardee's was the first restaurant that, you know, you went to. And now it's gone. Hardee's has gone international. But that was the first place you went. But uh, there was no summertime jobs that you could get in Kingston other than working in the fields. That was that was essentially it. You know what's crazy? Or cutting somebody's grass. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, the grass always growing over there. Um my parents met at Hardy's. That Hardy's. Did they? Wow! My dad told me that last week. He said, "We, I met your mom. I saw your mom at Hardy's on Heritage wow. Street." That was there was only there was only one Hardy's, and that it's was right. Gone now, yeah, there was only one Hardy's over there on Vernon. Because yeah, you think okay. about the streets which were famous. You had you had Queen Street and you had Vernon. They connected almost in the L shape, and you go to the mall and come back and. Yeah. And now you look that whole area like that Hardy's is now gone. All those buildings over there essentially are 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 done. This episode of Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by Masterclass. Right now, when you head to masterclass.com slash CLNS, you'll get an annual membership and they'll give you one for free just for listening to this podcast. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. No, you don't really. I mean, Masterclass. You are learning so many things and exactly what they're saying. Master class, master teachers could be somebody. If you have a poor golf swing, could be somebody teaching you who is a great golfer, teaching you about golf. Absolutely. It's endless opportunities. And one of the classes that they offer is uh, TV writing. And it's taught by Shonda Rhimes, the mastermind behind one of the greatest TV shows put together, Grey's Anatomy. Bunch of other movies. Her credentials are endless. And right now, if you head over to masterclass.com slash CLNS, you can get a free membership, an annual membership, and sign up for her class or a dozen others. Yeah, dozens. All kinds of things that you want to do in your life. You want to be a great cook? You might have a chef that would be up there who would be teaching you how to cook maybe your Thanksgiving meal, which go. is coming up. There you go. That you get in this master class and they show you how to brine a turkey or do whatever people do with <laughs> whatever a turkey. Whatever side you like, they got yeah, you. Right? Yeah, so, so, so they, as you like to say, they got you. Exactly. They got you. Explore at your own pace with over 90 classes that range from world-class instructors. Right now, head over to masterclass.com slash CLNS. That's masterclass.com slash CLNS. So what do you think is next for Kenston? I mean, what can we, I mean, we, what can we do? I don't know. I mean, what, what can anyone do with, for Kenston? They need manufacturing. Need manufacturing. They Did, need, uh, do you think NAFTA is manufacturing? And, and I think that would help with some of the people who are there who are so stagnant, right. uh, you know, and, and you said, to get out of Kinston, to get away from some of the people who, and, and, you know, love the people, but seeing some of the same people who are my age are still standing on the corner. I mean, that, that's not a, that's not a good look. That's, that's not an investment in your future. If you're going to be standing on the block and hanging out, that's, 
And that's then it just sucks because like then there's no opportunities there, and it's like how, what you supposed to do? Besides, the only choice you have is to move. Yeah. You know, for a lot of folks, like that was it. So I yeah. mean, it's just it's just a frustrating place. But that, that is that's essentially, and it's such a it's such a wonderful a wonderful town. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love my hometown. Uh, but uh, again, it's one of those towns that uh, it, it, that if there isn't something major that happens eventually. It's going to just fade more and more and more. But to, and 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 I think that's why their basketball program and their athletics were so good because again, people found that that was their opportunity to get out. I know that was mine. I used to think about like, okay, what am I going to do in Kinston? You know, what, what am I going to do when? And because I got cut from the team, I really didn't think about anything. I remember being in my sophomore year at Kinston High School. And that was the teachers were going down the line saying, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And so I was MVP. And he went down the line. And again, I wasn't paying attention. And the guy in front of me said he wanted to be a social worker. And I was next. So what do you, what would you like to be? I want to be what the guy in front of me is. <laughs> Whatever he was, I want to be that. So I didn't, I didn't think about anything. And then kept, then basketball was, thrust upon me or I was thrust upon it and it gave me an opportunity to leave Kinston and see a much bigger world and to get to Charlotte and see a, a really different side of, of North Carolina. Uh, final four. You, you took Charlotte to the final four. Final That's four. a big deal. And my dad, I was, I was asking my dad, my dad obviously is a big influence on me with, with basketball. He, what do you say? What do you tell me to ask you? He said he played against you at Fairfield once. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Wow. Um, he, he said, Final Four, remember, what are you saying? Uh, y'all play Marquette. Yeah, yeah, we were, my school, UNC Charlotte, uh, 1976, we made the NIT. Uh, and that's when it was a big deal, it was a big deal. And, uh, and I was the MVP in the NIT on the losing team. Uh, we lost to Kentucky in the final minutes. And then the next year, uh, my school, UNC Charlotte, goes into the Sun Belt Conference, started the Sun Belt, and um, we win the Sun Belt. We win our, our tournament, and we are now, there was only, at that time, it was, like people say, the big dance, well, there was only 32 people in that big dance. So you had the best of the best. And um, we beat um, Central Michigan, and we beat Syracuse University, and Syracuse was a big deal at the time. And their assistant coach over there was a young Rick Patino was their yeah. assistant coach. And then we played the number one team in the country because uh, we were in the West, in the Midwest. And that was uh, Michigan. And we ended up beating Michigan to go to the final four. And what was your seating? Uh, Michigan was number one. They were number one in the uh, country. What was it? UNCC, what was it? Uh, we were like the sixth seed or something, nice. fifth or sixth seed in the in the uh, Midwest. Nobody knew who we were. I mean, right, right. nobody. They they knew when we left because yeah. there was a guy. I remember this distinctly. We we're playing um, Central Michigan first game, and you know, you everybody gets these big big write-ups, you know, coaches always pumping somebody up and they had a super sophomore on their team, white guy. And I was playing in the game. I had, I don't remember his name, but I had like, 
12 points early in the game. And so the super sub comes in and he's going to stop me. So I guess, you know, you do like this. You walk up to the toughest guy in the, in the bar and you punch him. He walks up to me and he says, you know what? I don't give a damn what All-American team you on. And I, without missing a beat, I had my at the free throw line. I lifted my head up. I looked at him in the eye. I said, after this fucking game, you will. <laughs> so I, after I had after I had 30, 32 and 18, he comes up to me after the game and does, good luck in the pros, big fella. <laughs> that was, awesome. So that, that was his line to me. So those, those were things you, you mm. could see that you were, that we had progressed and we were that kind of team. Um, I didn't know where UNC Charlotte was. I, it's just like, I thought it was, when I got my letter from, said UNC, I'm thinking like, damn, Chapel Hill then changed it, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. <laughs> and I ended up going there and I loved the school. And um, so we, we, we had a long fight uh, to get from under the wing of um, uh, uh, the ACC. Right. And, um, you know, we did just that in those four years while I was there. Matter of fact, the four years I was at USC Charlotte, we never lost a home game. We uh, won, I think we were 50, no way. 56 and 0. Damn, that's great. Home in, my, in my four years of college. That's wild. So what was the transition like between uh, NCAA and uh, NBA? Um, draft, it, was just, it was just, it was, it was just more, it was, it was cream of the crop. It was guys you had read about, guys you look at. And, you know, I my first day I'm looking at with Boston, I get drafted, and I didn't want Boston to draft me because I, I wanted to stay south. And Atlanta was, I found out it was two picks after that. So I wanted to go to Atlanta. That's where I really wanted to play. And uh, Chicago was after that. So it was Milwaukee picked number 11, Celtics picked number 12, Chicago was 13 and Atlanta was number 14. So I was hoping that any one of those teams I went to, no, they want to go to Milwaukee, but Chicago and Atlanta were my picks and uh, got picked by Boston and went to their rookie camp. And uh, I'm looking at John Halbachek, Dave Cowens, Jojo White. I mean, it was just like Charlie Scott. I'm looking at all these guys who, were soon to be Hall, Hall of Famers, and was just my, my mouth was just open. And then, then the guys that you played against in the NBA that you, you know, you start seeing like Dr. J, or you saw my favorite player of all time was Kareem. You know, mm. playing against them, it's just it. It was just eye opening to to be in that particular area and to see those guys and to say that you know, hey, they put on. Is, as that story said, they put on their jock just like I did, one leg at a time. That was <laughs> eventually I saw them put their jock on. Like, damn, they do. They put their, their <laughs> one leg in, and then Literally. they put the other leg in. So they're Literally. just like me. <laughs> Let me ask you though. So, like, uh, when you did finally get in that in the moment of on the court playing with these guys, playing against these guys, um, did it? Did they seem better than you imagined they would be, or did you seem? Did they seem like they weren't quite as I mean, what was that? I mean, as far as their game, like, did it seem? No, they seem. They seem no, they seem who they were. 
Dr. J seemed who he was. Kareem, you know, all these guys seemed like who they were. They were great mm-hmm. players who were outstanding that I was thinking like, man, I am playing against the greats. And then I think I, my first year, it was, you know, I was playing a few minutes. I, I, averaged, I averaged maybe about seven, eight points a game. And then I wasn't playing this much. And then all of a sudden, Kinston kicked in. Oh, woo. My second year in the league, and like, you know what? I'm from Kinston, damn it. I don't give a damn about these guys. I don't give a fuck about Kareem. Nice. I don't care who these guys are. I know that I'm just as good as these guys. And I went from averaging seven, about eight points, to averaging 19 points and about 10 rebounds a game my mm-hmm. uh, second year. So at that time, I, I knew I could play with the big boys, and I knew I could be dominant. People are products of their environment, right? I mean, yes, they are. Yes, they true. are. You you go back to Holloway and you put yourself in those situations or go to Kinston High School and uh, mock gym, the, the madhouse. You, you, you think about those times of, you know, being in mock gym and playing against uh, Bill Ford uh, was a great player up in Rocky Mount coming to uh, Kinston to play. Or on, my, my brother was, uh, you know, five years after me and he, he told me how – Michael Jordan came to uh, mock gym and put on the show there. So there have been, there have been legends who have come in that particular building and that in the Eastern North Carolina, just the basketball alone in North Carolina. You think about some of the greats who have been Eastern North Carolina. You've got Buck Williams, got um, uh, Dominique Wilkins. Oh, yeah. uh, Phil Ford was from there. Uh, myself, uh, Stackhouse. Uh, Shackleford, there's so many people who played basketball in that area that competitively that you just, you know, you you, you got better. You know, it's like you, when you played the, the better competition, the better you became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think about when you played, and I always tell people, it's like when you become a, a player, it's like, first of all, you have to dominate your neighborhood. You got to be the best person on your block. Right. Right. Then now you got to be the best person in the city. You got to be one of the elites in the city. Uh-huh. Then you become the elite in the state. And now you go from there. There's only one thing you can do: be one of the best in the world. And for me to be a Finals MVP and all that good stuff, it, it, it I, I hark that back to Kinsley. Matter of fact, the jersey that they gave me, um, I ended up putting it in the trophy case uh, uh, in the new Kinsley High. It's crazy because uh, you, you talk about Kinston kicked in when you were you went from yeah. eight points to nineteen points, and that's just such a full circle thing right there. Like it's a we got something in filmmaking called hero's journey storytelling. You know the hero's journey where it's just this circular kind of a balanced like thing. And yeah, you went all the way to the NBA, but what made you ultimately great in the NBA is Kinston kicked in where you're from kicked in, and you kind of like return hey, home. Town. K-Town kicked in, brother. And I want to say, because I, I, I feel bad about talking, I was talking too much junk about Kinston right now. I, I want people to know that, like, uh, the thing about Kinston is, is, is it's so beautiful because of its pain and its struggles, you know what I mean? The, the basketball and, say, the lack of opportunity and the crime and all that stuff, that's what makes it so dramatic and so beautiful in the first place. Like, it's, it's a lot of small towns don't have a lot going on. But at well, least Kinston that, has that basketball. History. The history goes back, you know, when I was, and I have to go back when I was born in the 50s. 
when Kinston was segregated, when mm-hmm. you'd have, you'd had, you know, it was, it was a, a typical Southern town and you had a bus station, which had a, uh, a white area and it had a colored area. Uh, there was water fountains in Kinston at the time. There were separate movie theaters. Uh, there was Holloway and there was Granger and there was, you know, like then you, and all of a sudden it was like this, all right, I'm black and I'm going to Fairfield to play basketball. That was like a, a big thing, and, you know, as, as it kind of went on. So all these things made you who you were and made that city the city that it is, and hopefully one day we'll you know be like Phoenix and we'll it'll, it'll rise from the ashes. Somebody mm-hmm. will come in and put the industry in, and there are a lot of uh, uh, you know very hungry people in Kinston who want an opportunity. Hungry, they're so hungry. Yeah, that's it. Um, you feel like it's progress? You feel like it's progressed at all? Like since you've grown up? No, no, no. I don't think there's. I mean, from like a racial standpoint. Oh, from not yeah, well. When you have a black mayor, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 you 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 changed a little bit. You've changed okay. your, your characteristics as a city. So yeah, for you to have a, a black mayor, the, the you know the police force and all those other things over kind of in the black neighborhood. So yeah, I, I think Houston, some of that has changed uh, for the better, uh, but uh, a lot of things just have not grown as we look back on the city as it's kind of uh, falling apart, a lot of the homes and stuff that are there. So if I were to continue this documentary, what, do you, what would you suggest I focus on? Did you see, did you get a chance to check out the, uh, the short version? I did. I did. I, I, I saw your short version. I saw, I love the stat that the guy gave about, you know, if you were from, if you wore the Kilson high school, okay. Boston Jersey, then what is it like, what was it? It was fifty-two point seven players. Yeah, yeah, well, some, some number he gives, and he said that number it. any place else is a thousand or fifteen. No, fifteen thousand. So after he said it, I looked over at the camera to make sure I was recording because I was like, "What?" Yeah. Is this yeah. True? But I mean that that I think you you go with uh, with that. I don't I don't know where you go with. Um, even the town itself, maybe it could be anything. I mean, I would like to dive back into the history. I, I have no idea how you go back because I just look at again, just where I live in the eastern part of the city, and that is beyond Queen Street. Anything east of Queen Street has kind mm-hmm. of just fallen into. Like I said, the shirt factory was there, so you had industry around. You had, you know eateries were around. You had all these different things around. I, I'm just more amazed right now that you still have Carver Court and those, uh, you know, Carver Court and Mitchell Wooten and, and you still have the projects in Kinston. I, I think that that would be the next place I would look just to find out, you know, what these people, you know, because there there is history there in the projects right. that people don't even talk about. And why would you, why would you stay in the projects? I mean, if you were born in the projects, why would you stay in the projects? You see some people who were born in Carver Court, the projects, and still generations have, their next family has gone where they live, still in Carver Court in the projects. I can't even imagine what those, those homes are like anymore. You think about it. 
from so I, I think I would go there if I wanted to get some some so real we, history about what Kinston's are like. You know, Mitchell Wooten, Carver Court, uh, Lovett Hines, all those places. Right. I think I'd take that next step. There was a gentleman who had a store over there. His name was uh, J.D. Connors. He had a store over in over in Kinston on Shine Street, which was a, a grocery store. And he would he looked out for people over there. It's a white man, but he looked out for people. He would let my mom, my mom didn't have money. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, it was a song that was on the radio just yesterday. I was listening to it. And it was one thing that we used to do in Kinston that a lot of other places didn't, didn't do, that you think about the words he used and said it was layaway. What you gonna do? I'm gonna put that on the layaway. <laughs> You gonna get those? Gonna oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a yeah. I know it. That that slaps you right in the face right there. Oh, my, mom, my mama going to Kmart. The way, that you're gonna put you gonna put a pair of sneakers that you pay four dollars and then another four, or then you got stuff on layaway, which even which is even today is like this famous word was in Kingston that you know. What you gonna do? Oh, I'm gonna put down layaway. But see, that's all normal to me growing up. Is that and that was probably just a little subtle. I I, 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 under, I understand that because it wasn't oh, it wasn't there wasn't anything called credit back in the day. Right. That that was your credit, but you right. weren't yeah. taking it home and you had to work for it. That's what tobacco fields were for. You know, you go like, okay, you're gonna put that. Oh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put five dollars on that and put it on layaway, and I'll come back and get it. I'm okay. sure there's some things right now that you still have on layaway <laughs> that you never went back again. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, um, so so uh, after you, uh, well, well, first of all, NBA Finals MVP. Mm-hmm. Where do you keep the trophy? Where is it right now? It don't even happen anymore. Really? And I gave it to my mom. Had it. Oh. Um, then I have my. The only thing I have right now, I think, is my watch. The finals MVP watch. Everything else now is is gone. Sold it. Got rid of it because those things I don't identify with. Yeah, and if it's got value, and you, you know, uh, Larry Bird. I'm you, you've been asked all these questions before, but what was Larry like? What was uh, Parrish? Well, yeah. What was Robert? What was Larry? Well, Larry was the first one that I actually met that came into the league. Um, it was Larry came in my, I was going into my third year and we drafted Larry junior eligible. One of the last times that that happened, Larry was supposed to be a senior. You could draft kids who were supposed to be seniors. That's what Red Arback did. He drafted Mm -hmm. Larry junior eligible. So when Larry came to us, it was like they had to sign Larry or they had to, or he was going back into the, the, the draft and uh, had such a great year. Uh, I think Boston took Larry Bird with the sixth pick in the draft. And, um, and in 1978 or 79, one of them, but that was my sophomore year and my second year. So my third year, Larry walks into the building and um, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, great white hope. Here he comes. Okay. This ought to be a piece of work, right? This ought to be easy. So me and Larry played against each other the first couple of days. And, man, I gave him every possible move that I could give him. 
And no, he didn't. He didn't stop me. I was still been. I'd have been averaging thirty points a game, you know, because Larry was not a defender. But what I found out later, because I was so prejudiced about basketball, because we've been taught over the years that you know, as black players, white boys can't play. Say you talking about? They can't play. And uh, first day of practice, hands down from about fifteen feet away, he knocks down the first jump shot. Kind of turn my head, yeah, knocks down the second one, third one. It's like, damn, I'm just sweating now. By the end of the day, practice ends. I get to the first white, first black guy I could see, first black person. I'm like, you know what? That fucking white guy can play. And, <laughs> and, and that was my introduction to Larry Bird. And that now that I could identify with a white guy that cause was actually probably that he it hurts me to say it now that was actually better than I was. And I just couldn't identify with that at all. You know, when I was in college or, or basically coming to the pros, I didn't think that way. And he was uh, from like, uh, he's from Indiana. Yeah. And then so, I said, God was a funny guy. Not only did he give me Larry Bird, but he gave me two of the greatest white players to play at one time on the same team. It's Kevin McHale. Right, so you right. drop that in and sprinkle a little bit of Danny Ainge in there. Now all of a sudden you're going, damn, these white guys can really play. We done cornered the market right now <laughs> on white players. There ain't nothing left. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, well, Burr was a product of his environment, right? That Indiana basketball. Yeah, you know, he was he was a he was a product. Um, it was really strange in 19 in country like 1977. I played against which was going to eventually be one of my uh, my teammates. Uh, 1976, actually, uh, played against Robert Parrish, who mm-hmm. went to Centenary University. And uh, we played them in Charlotte. And we were both top independents at the time in the country. And whoever was going to be the best independent was going to go, was going to shoot them forward. Well, we played them in Charlotte in front of about 12,000 people. Uh, and... And we ended up winning the game. And I heard a story about uh, two months ago about a guy who was actually sitting in the front row told me about this game. He said, man, I was there. I was watching the game. It was James Worthy. So, you know, you just think about how you influence people in this way and you see them and you just kind of laugh and how things happen. So those were the, the, the great players that I played with, you know, Dennis Johnson, Nate Archibald. But, you know, people talk about the Hall of Fame. And I said, the, the Hall of Fame, when the Boston Celtics retired my jersey and put it up in the rafters, I always I said at that time, I said, the Hall of Fame is in Springfield, Massachusetts. No offense at all to them. But the Hall of Fame is right up in these, uh, right above my head where I'm going now. And uh, you think about the Celtics, everybody said, oh, you know, you win, if you can win two in a row or three Pete or what." Damn, Celtics won eight championships in a row. Not not just eight championships. Bill Russell has 11 championship rings. I mean, Sam Jones has 10. And then Michael Jordan or whoever does, they they go five or six. This this man has 11. You know, he needs needs one of your fingers to occupy all his rings. (laughs) Right. Well, I, I got to ask you before I forget, coming from Kenson, small town, and then playing like a playing in front of a big crowd, what is that like? 
you get used to it by just doing it, I'm sure. But it was like playing like playing a Holloway. So like playing the Holloway with the Once big you start boys. playing, you're playing. The, the pressure that you had when you stepped down, when you came from the little boys in to the big boys in and playing your first three on three in front of, you know, the, they had bleachers on both sides were packed with people and it was critics. Oh my God. Critics upon critics to be a few women sprinkled in. It's like, it was like going to play at Madison Square Garden. It was like, it was like playing in the Mecca, you know? So that alone to me just took the nerves out of it. You know, to me, a basketball game, any, any good player you, you talk to, he's going to be nervous in the first 10 seconds of a game. And then once that ball is thrown up, you fade into black. Everything yeah. else fades. And now it's about just playing and you connect with the person in front of you. That's beautiful. That's nice. So the um, um, finals MVP, that series where you won finals MVP, I mean, it just um, it just went your way. How did that go? I mean, why didn't Bird get it? Why didn't somebody else get it? You were just out there grinding. You were putting um, in. Yeah, pretty much grinding. Right. Uh, you know, I had some uh, exceptional games. Yeah. Uh, the deciding game, essentially the deciding game was the fifth game mm. uh, that we played in Boston. And um, it was two to two against Houston. We thought we were better than them anyway, but they somehow, you know, squeaked two games out. So it was two to two, and and we felt like whoever was going to win, we we put pressure on ourselves for game five. Well, game five, I had twenty eight and fifteen, and that was what propelled me to be the Finals MVP. Undeniable. So you know those those things, you know, and 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 I, I. it's it's so comical because I think about the guys who were on the floor. Um, there were I want to say least least five guys who were going to be Hall of Famers. Yeah, three guys who were. Let me see. Four of those guys turned out to be the top fifty players of all time. No way. Kevin McHale, Larry Bird, um, Robert Parrish, Moses Malone were all on the floor at that time. Man, and a little boy from Kinston lived on, lived on the east side of Kinston, uh, you know, became the finals MVP. And, and that that Kinston was, came that, out with that grind. Yeah, that was, that was, that was on the grind. Yeah. And then uh, afterwards, uh, uh, analysts, commentary, all that stuff. I, I, uh, you're hilarious, first of all. You're funny. You're well, thank we know, and, and I like when people say that, but I also I always do it like Stuart Scott says. I, I said that to Stuart Scott one time when he was the famous Stuart Scott who worked for ESPN. We were talking, mm-hmm. and he was in the building for a game. I said, man, I said, you are so funny. He said, but did I give you pertinent information? For sure, yeah. And I, and I looked at when he said that, like he, <laughs> and, and he made me think about it, and that's what I try to do. I try to... Be funny, but at the same time, give pertinent information, which is going to keep you. And I, I try to do a game like I'm, um, like I'm, like I'm on the sideline, and we're we're just talking noise about a guy out there playing. And I'm telling you, a move that he might do or something like that. So I try to sprinkle in a little bit of comedy along yeah. the knowledge I give in the game. Totally pertinent, yeah. But no, the funny stuff is just more memorable, you know, and. Uh... Doesn't mean that you ain't being pertinent. I, 
that whole line. Somebody give me some Cheetos. I saw that shit on on YouTube. <laughs> God, I couldn't. I've watched it like three times. Anyways, and and you're still doing that, right? You're still you're still. Yeah, this is my this is my 25th year uh, being a broadcaster. Damn. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've seen them come. I've seen them go. I I saw Paul Pierce when he first stepped into the building. Uh, and saw Rondo his first game, and and all these guys who come in, and you know guys like Kevin uh, Garnett to win championships, and to be with Larry Bird and, and and see his first game, and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish's first game in the building, and you know the, the Hall of Famers that I played with, Dennis Johnson, and like I said, Nate Archibald. So I, I played with the greats. I've seen the greats. I broadcast. You know with the greats. So it's uh, been around Red Arback, you know, knowing who he was, one of the greatest architects of basketball. And, and people talk about the Celtics, and which people didn't know was, one, the Celtics had the first black player, uh, Chuck Cooper, whoever played, who played in the NBA. Red Arback drafted him. What they had the first starting black five in the NBA. What was the first black guy's name, player? Uh, his name Chuck Cooper. Chuck Cooper, okay. Chuck Cooper was the first was the first one that maybe uh, you know, and then they had the first black coach in Bill Russell. So um, the Celtics have been forerunners, right? In you know, in in social the social injustices or the environment that has been around for the longest time. I'm gonna ask you if I continue shooting this documentary. Would you would you let me uh, come film you uh, doing some day to day life stuff? Yeah, a little interview and a little. Uh, obviously, the pandemic makes everything difficult. Yeah, pandemic is uh, it would been it would been perfect for you to do. You could have followed me around, like you know, I had a great story. Like you you think about who you are as a player. Sometimes you might think you're forgotten. Well, there was uh, something that made me that that brought me back to the public's eye again was. Uh, ESPN, 30 for 30. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Celtics, Lakers. And oh, yeah, I'm, hated by, I'm hated by the Laker fans right now, but um, the 30 for 30 went on, and, and I was a big part of it, and talking noise to James Worthy and having a, an amazing game seven here to Boston to, to, to win the series. Um, it was so funny how the, the – uh, the whole thing about the 30 for 30 was being filmed and there were a bunch of players who saw it. So we had Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum in his first year. So Jason Tatum comes out on the floor and starts yelling. He sees me. He's going to surprise. He said, cornbread, cornbread. Corn. I said, dude, what's wrong with you? He said, man, I saw you on that 30 for 30. Damn, you are a bad motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know you even even today you know with things people kind of know you but they don't know you and then when they play and, and and the pandemic has made it in a way has has even made some of it even you know brings you back to life because i was in the supermarket it was earlier about about two months ago mm-hmm. a guy comes up to me after the nba had canceled his season and all these games were these games who had been these old games were being oh, yeah. broadcast. Right. The guy in the supermarket who was back in the meat department said, Man, you played a great game the other day. 
I said, dude, that was 35 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. You tell them about the game that I play. It was 30 years ago. So, so the pandemic has kind of brought some things around in full circle, especially when they've had to have these games shown again. The Lakers-Celtic game, one of the, one of the greatest – I think that game, the Lakers-Celtics 1984, was a forerunner for all these mega games now Mm -hmm. uh, because it brought the country almost to its knees as these two great franchises met for a championship. And you think about the guys who were on the floor. Crazy. You had Magic. You had Kareem. You had James Worthy. Hall of Famous. Three guys who were Hall of Famous. Then there were other guys who were just good players or the, the Kurt Rambuses of the world and, you know, all these other players who might have, you know, it was a, another guy who played, Byron, Byron Scott was a rookie that year and played. Wow. And then you look at the Celtics and they had Dennis Johnson. There were like about eight Hall of Famers who were on the floor for that particular game. So, so, so that game was, I, I guess I want to say, that was the, that was the forerunner for all these great mega games that we look at now when are you going back to kenston next time uh probably in about uh about a month but no but maybe next week yeah, i'm yeah. driving down from boston my daughter just oh. had a yeah my daughter had a child and uh she's in kenston no she's in uh charlotte but my parents still live in kenston that's so right yeah okay down there. i'll be back down to kenston probably in the next within the next couple of weeks and i'll be playing spades at holloway can I come film you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're going to be there for Thanksgiving, I guess. Then. I'm going to be there for Thanksgiving. Got to be there for Thanksgiving. And you know what? You got The documentary premieres Thanksgiving night. PBS. Wow. They gave us Thanksgiving night. They put us on the cover of their magazine. Now, what magazine oh, yeah. is this? The Kinsters magazine? No, it's like some PBS, uh, UNC TV uh, oh, okay, cool. magazine. I, I didn't know anything about it until, until now. It's called Centerpiece. And, uh, oh, okay. Like 100,000 homes. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I got to say something. The the doc, this doc, um, it's been kind of painful to be honest with you. It's been it's been great. It's the result has been nice and the reward is nice as far as getting it out there and being able to talk to you and being able to like get, just you know get get the word out and get some get some love. But um, making it was not as easy as I wanted it to be, and I bring it up because um, it started out strong. I was trying to figure out the angles. The first problem was the archival footage. How do we go about that? Because that's a licensing. That's we don't have money for that to license that. Um, how do we get something? So what do we do? We do something fresh and current. We started doing that. All of a sudden, out here in Hollywood, we we went to Kenston, shot a sizzle, about a week's worth of footage, put together a three minute sizzle, brought it back here to L.A. And um, I had some friends in the doc. I don't usually do documentaries. I do like little other other movies and. Um, my doc people were like, this is really good. Can we take it to here and here? And I said, yeah. And um, very quickly, we had companies that, that were in love with this project in Kinston and um, for the obvious reasons. And there was a company that produced the Kobe Bryant doc. They produced the Tom Brady doc. They did the uh, LeBron shut up and dribble doc. They were like, what do you want? We want to help you out. I said, okay, you know, here we go. We finally made it. And um, they said, look, I think we we all agreed that it, I wanted it to be a feature film at first. But then we started talking. This could be a series. This could be like a Netflix series, all kind of, you know, wherever we wanted it. 
they said, we would help you with uh, whatever you need as long as you can get access to the school and get let them give, give you permission to, to film, hopefully, the players throughout the season. And um, so I went back to Kenston and shot some more and talked to the, the school, and they uh, ultimately said no. And for me – They said no. They said no. So I ain't trying to call nobody out, but that was very frustrating for about a year. We had to figure out what we were going to do after that, like as far as – They wouldn't let you see women. They wouldn't let you do what? And go go to Kinston High School and take my, footage of the players. Propo- well, my specific proposal was uh, to get access to the season, so we could film throughout the next season yeah. with contrast styles, yeah. a new kid, and like yeah. all, and all the players and yeah. the coaches. And I was going to contrast that with uh, uh, Dory Hines over at Par- at uh, Parrot Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just two coaches, two programs. Mainly Kinston High, obviously, is, is the is the key is the uh, key ingredient. And um, I told them everything I just told you in more detail. And they're like, we can't do it. Can't We can't do it. And one of the reasons was, this is so crazy being able to talk to Cedric Maxwell about this right now. Um, one of the key reasons was that they gave me is because of the crime stuff that was in the sizzle. They didn't like the crime stats and, and, and the lack of, uh, you know. And it just it confused me for about a, a year. I was very uh, pissed off, to be honest with you. Yeah. And um, and then also they were worried about NCAA violations, which there w- there wouldn't have been any, and um, other people feeling left out. But my point is, like it's like ECU. Here you go. Here's East Carolina University. No, we yeah. don't want that. Yeah, no, we don't yeah. want that. Why would we want that? Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking? About? This is a. I'm, I'm not. I mean, that, you. That, that's a, that's how you should approach it. And if you needed my help and and going there and talking to somebody. Maybe we should sit down and talk to the mayor about it uh, because yeah. maybe he would have enough influence where, you know, we, we could talk to him about it and, and get an opportunity because to me, you, you, there has to be a spark about yeah. what Kinston is. And is Kinston perfect? No. Kinston's like any other town, but Kinston has some, has some problems right now about poverty, about, people getting killed. That's just, look, that's just the way it is. You can't paint a big picture of it. You can't tell what it, it, it is. It isn't Kansas. You, you, it, it is what it, it is. What it is. You got to have the conversation. It's okay to have a, but you got to start the conversation. You can't not talk about something when there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, well, it was the way to, to me, the way to escape. Escaping, essentially, that's the word I'd use, escaping Kinston. You know, because the way you left Kinston, the way Jerry Stackhouse left Kinston, the way I left Kinston was like, I'm not going to be here 30 years from now hanging on the corner. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing something else with my life. Well, I, you know, I think, um, I get what they were saying, the high school, but I still don't understand why they, you know, this was two years before the last dance and all of Hollywood knew last dance was coming before everybody else did this. this would have fell in line right with that. And so I'm just, I'm just sharing it because, um, for that to kind of fall through the fingers, slip through the fingers like that, and then to see like the the, the PG County doc come out with the Kevin Durant DC doc, called something in the something like, pretty sure they stole my title. To be honest with you, something in the water. Um, it was hard, but to get it out into a short and to get it on UNC TV and to um to always try to continue expanding onto it, it's better than nothing, you know? Well, it, it really is. Quit. I mean, I, I, what I always remember was 
you talked about that and you and one of the things you had in your thing was Roy Williams said that he would rather go if there's a player that is from Kinston or New York, he said he'd rather go to <laughs> he said I'm get the best player. Oh, he's only an hour and a half away. <laughs> and and to me it was really cool because Roy Williams I want to say maybe it was about four or five years ago. It's when when he he was Paul Pierce's coach, and I saw Roy in um, in Charlotte at a game, and I went over to meet him and say hi to him. He said, introduce him. He's like, man, I already know you. He said, like, what? He said, yeah, I know you. Mm. He said, cornbread. I said, yeah. He said, look, let me tell you why I know you so well, and you probably don't know this story. He said there was when you were in high school. You were the last great, and this was in Sports Illustrated. I was the last great unknown player because it wasn't that the, you know, um, what's the stuff the kids play in the uh, video games? Or, or, or playing? What are they playing now all the time? AC? The, uh, no, no, basketball. Uh, uh-huh. go, go all over the country. Oh, AAU. Oh, AAU. There wasn't no oh. AAU. It wasn't none of that. And he said, but because of that, nobody didn't know who I was. So when I went to UNC Charlotte, I played against a guy who was uh, who went to Chapel Hill. His name was uh, Jeff Crompton. Jeff Crompton was a seven-footer, one of the biggest guys in North Carolina. Here I was, six, seven and a half, playing against a guy who was six, eight, probably around about 280, and went and played against him in the All-Star game. And, uh, you know, played well while I was, again, found, while I was the MVP and the All-Star game. And um, they end up telling um, Dean Smith call up Guthridge, who was his assistant coach, and said, hey, God, how did uh, how did Jeff play in the All-Star game? He said, Jeff, he was he was okay. He, he did okay. He said, but <laughs> Guthridge talking to Dean Smith said, but you know what? There was a kid from Kinston that tore his ass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And then it went on to that, that, that Roy Williams said, from then on, Dean Smith said we had a rule, and we called it the cornbread run, where we were going to see every player in North Carolina physically, and we were not going to let another cornbread no slip and go to uh, UNC Charlotte without us knowing about it. Damn. That's what Roy told you? Yeah, Roy Williams. That's crazy. Yeah. Cornbread run. Cornbread. Yeah. So what do you, uh, what's going on now besides the pandemic of it all? Everybody's chilling, but what do you, uh, besides uh, being an analyst, what do you, what you got going on? That's basically about it, man. You know, you're analysts and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60, let's see, November 21st. I, I will be 65 years old. So, you know, it's not, you know, just staying in shape and, Mentally staying alert and you know physically just trying to work out and keeping a little shape and and trying to you know make sure I don't need as much of the the stuff that we see in Kingston where you know where 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 the pig was the king at the time. Don't be turning your lip up now because I know you ate a king's barbecue. <laughs> oh, man, it was bad news. <laughs> <laughs> half a day I, know, I know you had hush puppies and they said the sweetest tea is from Kinston. And when he say, when you think this tea is too sweet, put another bag of sugar in it. That's, what, it. that's, that's Kinston tea. 
Man, I, I had diabetes when I drank that tea this past time. Well, that's what my buddy said. I had a friend who went there, and we drank the tea, and she went, oh, my God, what did they put a bag of sugar in? I grew up on it, but then I haven't had it in so long, and I went back. I said, no, I can't do it. You, you the, I had a friend of mine who went to Kinster with me, and we got some tea. And I told my mom, I said, give her a glass of, uh, of water to go mm-hmm. along with the tea. She's like, I, I don't need that. I can just drink the tea. She took a sip and she's like, oh my God, you put a cup of water and maybe like, uh, dilute. Uh, uh, yeah, you got to dilute it because it is <laughs> like drinking pure sugar. So there are things about Kinston which are just unbelievable. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah.